and welcome to How to Start Up, a podcast for anyone starting a company. This is a collection of conversations with people who have all successfully started, run and even sold their own companies, sharing not only professional but personal experiences on what we should be doing now, next or never. In this episode, we hear from Louise Olson and Stephen Ormandy, co-founders and creative directors of Dinosaur Designs, the Australian luxury homeware and jewellery studio. Founding their business in 1985, Louise and Stephen began selling their creations at Sydney Markets, where they both attended art school. Since then, Dinosaur Designs has grown to become one of Australia's most renowned design studios and has expanded internationally. Louise and Stephen share with us their advice on how they have built an internationally recognisable brand, why growing slower is important for company culture, and why looking after your team is the number one priority when running a successful business. Welcome, Louise and Stephen. It's great to have you on How to Start Up. It would be great to just kick off and ask you to introduce yourselves and a little bit about the business that you started. I'm Louise Olson, and I'm an artist and designer and creative director, co-founder of Dinosaur Designs. And I'm Stephen Ormandy, and I'm exactly the same as Louise, artist, designer, co-founder. But there's also one other thing is that one of you is husband and one of you is wife, am I correct, or partners? We are. Yeah, we're partners. We are in. We are like an old married couple, really. I mean, we we have a daughter, and we've been together for oh gosh, oh what, don't do the maths. <laughs> Makes you feel old. <laughs> well, I was going to say you met at art school. That's right. Because of the register, you were sitting next to each other. That's right. Both names start with us. We uh, the classes were alphabetical. And from that first meeting, how did you get from that initial conversation to founding one of like, Australia's most iconic brands? We spent three years at art school before we started Dinosaur, so we had a, a friendship that was already running, and we were already doing our own individual creative practices that were more immediate. I was making jewelry. Louise was making t-shirts and fabrics. Our third partner at the time was actually knitting, doing knits. So we had our own individual things going that were doing fairly well and we were selling quite a few. I funded my way through art school making jewellery. You know, it was just, we were already doing that. So we came together, I guess, as a little group to go to the markets. And that was Paddington Markets in Sydney. So local art market that's still going today and it's thriving. And I know it's a mecca for people who like to shop, me included. But given that you started fresh out of art school, the three of you, and obviously now you're the two leading the business, that sounds like quite a tumultuous change in the business. Is there any advice that you'd give new founders to when they go into partnership with people or or how to set up a company at the beginning to protect yourselves with things like that? I think we were quite young and naive. I mean, we were like 20 when we started the business. (laughs) It started as a lovely friendship. But I think that the toll of what business often takes you through can be very stressful on friendships and relationship. And I think that with all the love and all the joy that you share and friendship that you share in the beginning really goes through a lot of stresses with different things that happen with a business and also the consistency of seeing each other every day and working through things. It's quite intense, really. And I think that you have to look at that when you're forming a partnership, that how are going to be, how our personality is going to handle the rigours of running a business. But then again, you don't know. And if you spend the whole beginning planning the end... That, that in itself is such a negative mindset to, to be a part of. And until you get going, you don't know. 
I guess good advice, lawyers are always good, accountants are always good. They can sort of set up a framework. I think starting a company and making an official company, then you've got all the framework normally within the company set up for all sorts of things that are going to come your way. So there's already a world document in forming a company. A lot of those things are taken care of in the corporate structure, however you go about building that. But yeah, we had a very basic setup and it lasted 25 years, the three-way partner which continues today. Our third partner is still part of the company as a silent investor. So yeah, she's still a shareholder. And that's the thing, you don't know what life's going to throw at you. And over the course of life, something I've learned the hard way in two and a half years is that real life still happens. You can't just work the no. whole time. You do need to sleep. You do need to eat. You do need oh, to you? Stuff happens. Your, your boiler might blow up. Yes. <laughs> Things are going to happen that you can't foresee. So are there any pieces of advice you give people as to planning or process or even that structure? like or keeping your sanity anything you've learned potentially the hard way especially talking to other people in business especially who have been through it and listen to what they say because it's one thing to ask the question but to really take it on board and, and try and understand how it's going to affect you. Yeah. And so find people in similar veins, similar industries that could potentially advise you or mentor you. Yes. And you could work with, you know, as much as possible, you know, a phone call away because really business, especially if you're on your own, it's still collaborative. You're still working with people. You have to be. It's the very nature of our world. It's it's one big collaboration. So it's all about understanding and being good at that. Yeah, but I think, yeah, really reaching out to the right people and sharing experiences and advice is always precious. And this is what this is today. So thank you, because I know that you're now giving back to so many people with advice. So I very much appreciate it. Oh, our pleasure. <laughs> You've built such an incredible brand and it's very, very well known in Australia and it's very well known internationally. How did you ensure that your company grew at a good steady pace, but without overexpanding or stretching yourselves too far into other markets? What was your market approach? I guess our market approach was to keep it simple, really, in many, in many ways, and to grow with the business. So often people end up throwing a lot of money at their business or getting investors on board. And I think that really growing quite closely with your business so that you're working with in your capacity with your manufacturing or your employees, with all different aspects of your business, I think has made a huge difference for us. I mean, we're nearly a 37-year-old company now, but we graduated grew it so that we really built really strong roots in a way. So we see ourselves like a big tree and that we've got very strong roots so that, you know, say, for instance, going through the pandemic that we've just been through, we were able to navigate our way through that quite safely because we had such good roots and such a good business structure with our stores and with our online business that we were able to handle the rigours of that quite well. Oh, congratulations, because that's by no means a small matter. I think that grows slow. It was very difficult. The Australian government were very supportive as well, and I know the British government as well was quite supportive, but it's not great for retail workers. It was no. terrible. But no. we managed to swing everyone into our studio and all our key staff in Sydney were packing boxes because the internet just blew up. And for us, if we couldn't work from home, you could go to work. That was Australia's rules. 
Yeah, so all our retail staff, because we manufacture in Sydney, they're all able to come into our factory and work in in the business. And you've come back even stronger, which is amazing. Exactly. And because the company was trading quite well, there was no excuse to let people go. I mean, the shift to online was incredible. What we were losing on in the stores was just shifting straight to online. So I think it really educated a lot of people, a lot of Australians who haven't been strong online shoppers to shop and discover online. And I think what you're saying is behaving honourably as well because there were so many businesses that were trying to get around the rules of furloughing people that they were still working and people were trying to rinse the system and it's like, no, those days are gone. Have you had real core values within your business that you had from day one that still stand true today or how have you built your company culture? I think we built it around family and looking after people. You know, if you look after us, we look after you. And we've had employees that have been with us for a long, long, long time. And we're both very proud of that. So I think we're very fair the way we look after people. And it stays with us. I think it runs from customer care to care for your employees. We're colleagues. We're all working together. We're a team. Louise and I don't see, although everyone calls us the boss, we've never really thought of ourselves as the boss as such and put on on boss boots and walked around being all bossy you know it's just not our thing it's just not who we are good definition if you're not bossy does that really mean you're you're not the boss we're colleagues exactly i know they keep wanting to make you the boss because sometimes it suits that it's their agenda (laughs) (laughs) all right all right i'll be the boss just for you but given that you are also family and you said earlier you had a daughter how do you compartmentalize home and work life balance is there a balance we don't really worry about it. We, if we need to talk, we talk about whatever. Yeah. There's no, there's no rules. Now and again, we can ask the other. Look, I really don't want to think about that today. But it's very rare. We just talk it through, and it doesn't last that long. You know, it's not the whole evening's conversation. But sometimes, if it's being talked about at home, it's really important, and it's actually a great asset. It's a power. That is a way of life, I think, because mm. we're artists and mm. designers and I think that we love talking about design and we love talking about art and things that we're doing. I mean, sometimes with business issues, sometimes can be more stressful, but also it's quite pleasurable too. You know, yeah. it's all those things. I mean, when we were sort of working with our third partner, there was more pressure around us. We kind of started to have a rule with let's not talk about business when we go home, but inevitably it always creeps back in. It's very hard. I find someone said when I started, you're going to think about your clients in the shower. When you go for a run, you're never going to not think about them. But as long as mm. it's not a sort of stress, and I guess, is there any advice that you'd have given you have survived the pandemic how do you manage stress in the business do you have any hacks around that i go surfing surfing is really great i think going for a beautiful walk we're lucky we live in a city that that has those <laughs> opportunities to their doorstep yeah you both love the walk which london has too isn't it you've got those beautiful parks and walks and you can't surf the thames unfortunately <laughs> No, no, you can't. You haven't got the blue that we get, I must admit. And the bright, bright sunlight, I think, always helps. If you can go for a walk around the block, actually, I mean, London's autumn this year has been amazing, but I find everyone said just go for a walk around the block. It's the easiest thing to do, but do you ever do it? No. Little little things like that, I think, if knowing how you tick. And then you've really built the business and emerged into new product categories, but really incredibly retained that brand identity. How did you do that? Was it grow slow or really sort of think through designs or go with a gut feeling? How did you enter those product categories? I think that there's a certain DNA with dinosaur designs that we work with. I think that when you see a dinosaur designs piece, it has a certain feel and look about it. And we're very inspired by nature and art. And I think 
that we also love that juxtaposition, which I think has been a, a real identity for dinosaur designs, is that we work with a relatively modern material, resins, but we try and work with it in a very hand-felt yeah. way. And everything is handmade in our studio in Redfern. It's all, And I think that's what sets us apart from other brands in the homewares industry or in the jewellery industry. So it doesn't matter what product it is, jewellery, homeware, it's always made in Redfern and it's handmade. Yes, yeah. yeah, it's all handmade. In- it's so tactile, you want to touch it. Yes, exactly, and we love that, and it, mm. it's got a nice sense of colour, and mm. you can tell that sort of hand-felt quality. There's something really warm as human beings about something that you can touch yeah. and feel, and particularly when you're wearing it close to your body or even when you're taking it home. There's something about mm. that that's really warm and natural to us, I think, as human beings. Now, are there any categories you've branched into you've gone, no, actually, no, that's a terrible idea? Yes, candlesticks. Really? How come? Well, someone nearly burnt their house down with them because <gasps> they burnt the stick into the <laughs> – Louise hates this stuff. Someone <laughs> burnt the stick and then it caught on fire and their table caught on fire. It's not our fault, but in- inevitably it's our fault in their mind. So we thought we'll stop doing candlesticks. Yeah. But we still do a brass one. We do do a brass one now. Oh, resin, of course. We don't do resin. We don't do a resin one. Yeah, but in resin, yeah, we don't do dinosaur okay. designs ones because people love to put a candle in, you know, the resin and very glowing and lovely, but it's, it's really yeah. not, not the, the right material. material. <laughs> I beware. For a flame. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, we all know that being a sustainable business is the right thing to do, especially post-pandemic. We've seen B Corp do more and more publicity around what they're achieving and how many more businesses are becoming B Corp. And there's many other certificates you can go after as a business to be, sort of mark your stamp of approval when you think about being sustainable. But are there things that you've done over the years that have made sure you live up to that? How important is that to you to be a sustainable business? I think it's at the base of everything we do. Um, we tend to think about how what we do affects across the planet as well as our backyard. And we've got another a few initiatives, but the fundamental nature of resin is it's actually an original byproduct of the petrochemical industry because it's a very particular type of material, different to most plastics. It actually was going to landfill for petrol manufacturers that basically that landfill product was turned into resin. So it's one of the... So it's a waste. We're working with, with a waste material. A waste material, which has been then developed into a very sophisticated mm. and probably drives its own industry now. But it uses up because you take oil and you have petrol, they look very different. And what is stripped out becomes resin. So that really, even the core material you use has set you on that trajectory. Yeah, was originally a waste, so it's a waste that we hope to turn into something that people value and treasure as an object. Waste, not one, yeah. not. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Plus, again, you know, how we package, how we pack. We're always yeah. looking at different ways, how we manufacture, why we manufacture, you know, how much we manufacture. That's all part of our process as well. We're very slow at growth and that's we plan at doing that because we just want our impacts to be controlled as we go. I was going to say, given that you are established and your business is obviously clearly very successful, you could just sit back and go, oh, no, we're fine. We don't need to change. But are you constantly championing change and empowering your teams to look for new alternatives absolutely definitely i think that with any environment initiative it's a constant work in progress there's always room for more and more and more improvement and then we always look at that yeah. as a business especially with packaging and shipping i know that's key 
Yeah, and it's across yeah. the board. It's in design. It's in your thought process. We're always we're students, and we continue to be students. Yeah. We don't assume we know everything, and there's always something you can learn. So it's a student mentality that I think is really important to keep in life. That that interest. So you're hanging on to your eighty five mentality of learning. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Of being interested. But how do you keep? Yeah. I mean, I'm only two and a half years in, so I'm still on that adrenaline fueled learning curve of oh my good god, I have no idea what's next. How given. Yeah. You have built this business and are building still. How do you keep innovating and how do you find your inspiration today? I guess there's one thing that underlines that is the business mm-hmm. has been successful. So that gives you a natural dynamism to keep going because it is successful. And you think, well, I can actually indulge myself in this area now because we couldn't do that before because we didn't think there's anything in it. It was too risky. Now we can have a go. And it turns out, oh, that does work. Oh, that's interesting. But I also think that that idea of it, sometimes it can be a bit of a pressure worrying about having the next idea and and. and and so forth. I think it's so often when you when you start making and creating, that often takes care of itself. Yeah, true. You know, one idea leads to another mm. idea. And I think for me, I had this thought just this morning of goodness, when you solve one problem, you just let the another one come to the top of the list, and it, there's never going to be a, a list empty. It's like get through this, solve that, then the next one bubbles up. But actually, you flip it into the positive of like, well, we can do this, and then once that's done, we can do that, and it's having that energy around it. Mm. That's you've, right. You've done some beautiful collaborations. What has been your favorite or your most successful or both potentially gosh there's been so many over the years i mean it was lovely doing the chess set for louis vuitton i think the rugs working with uh, designer rugs in australia has been great designer rugs doing some of the fashion shows that we've collaborated with different designers yeah the romance is born show was was a highlight yeah and, and caroline herrera and doing bangles for her and the collections and we've just done one with oscar de la renta with some bangles and yeah just different you know just lovely collaborations and i think that's what's so lovely about being in the design industry is that you have these opportunities to share and share ideas and collaborate. It's really exciting. And is there a way that you go, okay, this would be great for the business or is it gut feeling or your heart tells you, okay, I really want to work with that person? How do you make those business decisions? I think they approach us, I think. Yeah, so often they've approached us uh, because we've got... Well, who have you said no to? <laughs> we're, we're unlikely to approach people because we, we're doing our own thing. Most of the collaborations have been presented yeah. to us, I must admit. We're very shy like I that. love that. We've got so much going on within the business. And this is what's so lovely about having a business is that things come to you. Start putting things out there, but there's this wonderful mm. kind of ripple of things coming back at you too that you can start sort of playing with. And that's what's so exciting about having a business is you, you're out there, but it's amazing what comes to you when you start. And I feel like I've had 20 years of being expected to be in an office on Bond Street for a brand and you turn up and you do the job description. And now I feel very boundaryless, which is really exciting yes. in some ways. And you can feel very vulnerable in others, but it's the sky's the limit and it's trying to rein in that adrenaline a little bit. Do you have things where you yeah. cut off your day and go, right, now is the end of my day and I'm going to go for my walk by the ocean? Do you have to force yourself to stop sometimes? You know, I think it's lovely to think about it you know it's not a chore or a difficult thing that you know even the difficulties it's a way of life it's okay you can kind of take it in your stride and sometimes you're going through those walks it it helps you think even more clear and sometimes not rushing decisions can be really good or even sometimes not making a decision that can also be just as powerful because we always feel we have to decide sometimes you don't oh gosh that's so freeing because I'm very OCD and I'm like I must just 
tick it off the list. And actually sometimes if you let it percolate. Yeah, make a decision. You've got to let it drift. And that's the great luxury of because you're caught in a a can-do, solve it, move on. But when you run your own business, no, some things can drift and some things Mm. just they eventually tell you what to do rather than make a decision. It just becomes obvious. If you could go back and have all of your time over again, is there anything you wouldn't do? Every time something difficult happens, it's a credible opportunity to learn. And when I get that question, I think when there are problems, they're actually the best things that can happen to you because you learn so much from them, as difficult as it may seem. Embrace failure. Yeah, grace failure, (laughs) definitely, because there's incredible opportunity in that in those failures mm. to learn wonderful things. Making a mistake for the third time, now then you're an idiot. Because <laughs> <laughs> the second time was checking. Yes, thank you. I am in that at the moment. The second time I'm going through something very painful, I'm like, this is never going to happen again. Yeah. I checked it. Exactly. It's not going to happen exactly. again. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. that's what you need to make sure. What is the last golden nugget piece of advice you'd like to offer someone who's thinking about starting their own business? Well, if you're serious about it, Keep turning up. Yes. Because the day you don't turn up is the day the business ends. Be determined. And there's also a wonderful saying, which I think sometimes when we've gone through difficult things and they have to make difficult decisions, there's a wonderful line I always love to go to, which is, man cannot discover new ocean unless he has the courage to lose sight of the shore. Ooh, yes. It's always a good one that every now and then when you have to make those decisions, you don't know what's going to happen, but you just have to have the courage and the faith just to, to leap in. It's that huge leap of leaving your security behind, 100%. Yeah. I mean, when we first opened our first store in New York, 9-11 just happened and we'd signed this lease and it was just looking like, oh my God, what have we done? Disaster. But we still just kept going. Was it kept disaster. plowing on yeah. and it, it all worked out fantastically well in the end. It really had to have nerves of steel at that time. Yeah, of course. And is there one question you'd potentially like to ask our next guest? We have a business that now has, you know, 120 people. And I think that one of the difficult things about running a business with a lot of people is keeping everybody happy. How to keep that community and keep it engaged and how to keep people stimulated. I think that is one of the most challenging things about having a business. How to keep that community engaged. Yeah. And such a responsibility too, but such an exciting one when it works. Yeah. It's my favourite bit of the job, I think, is the people who are yes. on team. So, yeah, I hear you there. Exactly, exactly. My, my daily job is to look after them and then clients and then the rest of it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Stephen Louise. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, absolute pleasure. Oh, pleasure. Absolutely pleasure. If you'd like to contact Louise or Stephen, you can find all of their details in the show notes, along with a recap of the advice that they have so kindly shared. Thank you for listening to How to Start Up. I hope these conversations offer you some confidence, encouragement and reassurance that you're on the right track. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd be so appreciative if you were to rate, review and subscribe as it will really help other people starting a company discover it.